It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. One of the things that I have been reflecting on since the clock ticked over to 2020 is how much of the same ideas and rhetoric are recycled year after year after year. And the things that I keep see popping up, right, are, you know, what's your word for 2020? What's your intention? But the thing that really kind of has gotten me that I've been reflecting on, and I'm curious to know both of your perspectives, is the new year, new me thing. Mm. And for me, it brings up a lot in the sense of, I think that people are conditioned to think that they have to be like, I'm going to clean the office and clean the garage and lose 50 pounds and do all this stuff in the next 30 days. And I've started with energy and enthusiasm, da, 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 da. So I guess my question, my curiosity as I'm sitting with all of this new year, new me stuff is the line between a genuine desire and excitement to improve oneself mm. versus lack and not enoughness. Do you think that people still operate that way? Because I've been, I don't maybe it's just, I'm trying to spend less time on social media, but it doesn't feel quite as, quite the same to me in terms of maybe it. The reason I'm asking is because I don't know if it's just my perspective and in my head about the resolution things, because it does feel kind of old school mm. to your point. It's, it's, it's like, are people still really into that or are they at a point where it's like, meh? I don't know. I guess I, I haven't felt like the resolution thing has been as big in, in this year. Is that your observation or are you also saying that for you as a person? Well, I'm definitely saying that for me, although it's a little tricky. I mean, you and Jason and I started our, our new program, The Consistency Code, this month, and I felt more on top of things simply because we're leading that program. And I feel like I want to lead by example by being consistent with things. Right. And we just happened to start it on New Year's Day because, well, we didn't just happen, but we started on New Year's <laughs> Day because we knew that so many people struggle with their resolutions and fall off the wagon. Actually, one interesting thing that I did note this year, and this is probably part of the reason that I'm having this observation, is <laughs> I was on TikTok and I saw multiple people posting about how as early as January 2nd, people start to give up on their resolutions. Mm -hmm. And I think these were both people that worked at gyms and they were observing how on January 1st, there were more people there than there were on January 2nd. And I don't know if that was like them making like exaggerating for TikTok, which people definitely do on that platform. But I actually was surprised when I was going to my yoga classes for the past few days. since It's been about a week since the new year. There really haven't been that many more people this year in my classes than any other time of year. And that really surprised me too, because I was prepared for the classes to be extra full and there's to be new people. But it's really the same amount of people in my classes. And so I guess that's probably why I'm starting to think like maybe people aren't taking resolutions as seriously this year, at least in my bubble. Have either of you found it to be one way or the other? So I've been thinking about this exact same thing. And I actually looked up statistics on this yesterday because I was curious. 
And I had the same thought, like, are people giving up on this completely? Is it something people even still do? Because I feel like I remember, like, we're talking like elementary, middle, high school. That's all anybody ever talked about, right? (laughs) Yeah. I also lived, can I curse, by the way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I lived in Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania, where, like, there was nothing. You know what I mean? So a couple of things come to mind. One, going back to the statistics, I will say they were a few years old. I didn't find anything super, super recent, maybe three, four years old on these stats. And you also have to keep in mind, like, who are they interviewing? How many people? But what they were saying is that about, I think they said 64% of people in their 20s carry their resolutions about halfway through the year and then they get dropped. But that people in their 50s and above tend to stop setting them all together. So then I started to think about my age because I'm like technically middle aged, depending on who you asked or knocking on what? its door. Well, I, Wait okay. a second. Right. I heard this comedian <laughs> say, and I thought it was brilliant. She was saying, I, I'll forget her name. I feel so terrible about it. But amazing comedian was saying that if you take your current age and you double it and you die at that age, the doubled age, and nobody is like devastated. They're not like, oh, like that's too early. Then you're middle aged. And the punchline was, she's like, I'm seeing all these 35-year-olds doing math in their head. (laughs) And I happened to be 35 at the time of watching it. And I was like, well, double that. Yep, 70. If I died at 70, people would like, now that's still pretty early. But nobody would be like, oh, my God, she was so young. You know what I mean? So that. So I just don't want to accept this reality. This comedian is is purporting in the world page. I disagree. I'm older than both of you, and I this middle age shit is for the birds, man. Well, maybe I'm not. I'm shaving when I go home. I'm shaving and I'm ripping out all the gray hairs. Fuck this. Well, I no. I think that's also it's interesting in how we as a culture are so obsessed with our age. Mm. We're just obsessed with time. Period. We're obsessed yes. with how we old we are. How old other people are numbers in general. And not the right kind of numbers, not like sacred geometry numbers. You know what I mean? Like age. And by the time you do something or achieve something. Your bank account, your waistline, your bust size, your penis size, like all these arbitrary things that somehow society's convinced us are markers of our value as a being. Yep. I was on the way here. I was talking to a client. She's actually going through a breakup and I'm like kind of becoming a breakup coach, interestingly enough, <gasps> in my position. Ooh, and I I, like it's just that. like happening. And wait, I, what is, wait, how do you define breakup mm, coach? I literally just thought of it on the way here when I was talking to her because I have two young women right now in their early mid twenties that are going through like a really hard breakup. The one young woman was with her partner for six years. The other one, it was shorter duration, but it was really toxic. And, you know, I love coaching younger women. I love it so much, like in their teens and 20s. It just, I know I need to do more with that. I'm kind of figuring out what that is, but it really speaks to me. And, you know, they're just talking about like, should I text him back? Should I do this? And so I guide them a lot on like creating boundaries. Like, you know, tell this person I need one, three, six, 12 months of no communication so that I can get over this. And then let's revisit, you know? And then she was saying that he had texted her today. And was talking about a friend of his who had passed away. And she's like, well, I'm a terrible person if I don't respond. No, you're not a terrible person. That's putting yourself into a box. What In reality, you're a person who doesn't have the capacity to show up for somebody in that way anymore. And that's okay because he chose to uncouple with you because he wasn't wanting to be in the relationship anymore. And that means his support, at least for the foreseeable future, needs to come from somewhere else. And that's okay. You know, and helping with like those just little things that we get into our mind of like, oh, if I just done this or, you know, had more sex or I wasn't grumpy on this particular day, then we would have never broken up. And 
I told her, I was like, you know, him breaking up with you, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's wow. about him because yeah. somebody else in the exact, like, let's just say everything else in the relationship, like up until that point had been the same. Somebody else would be okay with what you're going through right now, which for her is like, you know, living on her own for the first time, just finished her degree and is starting a new like job in the medical field. I don't want to give too many details, but, you know, very, very difficult hands on helping people kind of job, you know, they were just very different points in their lives. And another partner would have been able to be with you through all of that, Mm. even if, quote unquote, it's your fault meaning you're going through something, maybe you're a little snippy or you're not sleeping or wanting to have less sex, like a different partner would be okay with that. And this person wasn't. And that's okay because that's not about you either. That's his limitations, not yours. So just like little things like that. And if I can kind of loop it back to the resolution thing, because I think all of it kind of intertwines, what I'm starting to do with my clients and on my social media is to kind of rethink resolutions. I do like the idea of using the calendar year as just a marked time to think about it. Yes. I love that. Yeah, true. But, or and, I'm trying to avoid but, and do that anytime you effing want. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So what I'm encouraging people to do, instead of being like, okay, I'm going to work out every single day, or I'm going to study language for an hour a day every day. If you are going from zero to an hour of something every day, you're probably not going to stick with it. But if your goal is, you know, by June or by November, I would like to work up to an hour of meditation every day or an hour of, you know, running or this thing or that thing, or I want to be able to do handstands, which is what I'm working on right now. Um, (laughs) Then, you know, give yourself little micro goals or intentions that make sense. You know, again, like if you don't meditate at all and you're like, all right, starting January 1st, I'm going to do 40 minutes every day. Good fucking luck. You know what I mean? I've been meditating for two years consistently and 40 minutes can still be a struggle, you know? But if you're like, I'm going to do five minutes at 7 a.m. every day. And then the other thing I realized when it comes to just making change, and we'll just call it resolutions right now because that's the season that we're in, sometimes the resolution needs to be to learn consistency or to learn discipline or to learn to be organized. Because if you want to start a business or if you want to go back to school or get your life together, even if you just want to like lose weight for health, you might need to learn how to be organized first. Yes. You might need to learn how to make a good grocery list first. You know what I mean? And that's okay. Let that be your goal first and then build up the skills that you need, whether that's patience or consistency or discipline, consistency and discipline are the ones I'm working on right now. So you'll probably hear me say them a lot, but work on those parts of your personality first and then you'll be able to do the other things like fitness or eating better or creativity, learning a language, whatever, whatever. Yeah. In your coaching. And which, I have a follow-up question for you, Jason. Too. Yes. In your coaching page, not the breakup coaching that is emerging in your, <laughs> in your pantheon of talents, but you being a nutritionist, a health coach, you helping people really take control of their health and feel better in their bodies, their minds. What is the line between too much ambition to change and improve mm. and just enough to keep someone going because i feel and i i know i'm certainly i don't want to use the word guilty but this is indicative of something that i've done for years and i realized i didn't want to do it this year yeah was at the beginning of every year or even quarterly i'll write down so many goals mm. that it's i don't want to use the word impossible but it is almost insurmountable for me to accomplish all of those things in the given time period I've allotted for myself. And I realized actually through a lot of the stuff you and I were doing, Whitney, with the Wellevator work and consistency code that I 
had been stacking so many things, like overly ambitious, I would call it. Like, going to do a next TV show, going to do the next mm. book, going to launch the podcast, going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, going to go to Japan, going to be a race car driver, going to go to race. <laughs> like, you know, this was last year for me. Yeah. And I remember assessing 2019 and going, you did like two of those things. Yeah. Now, I could beat the shit out of myself for that. Or I could acknowledge the fact that I feel I was being overly ambitious because I felt like, well, you could do, you have to prove like you can do this, dude. You can handle this. Yeah. All the stuff you, you can do, like step up your game, dude, step up your game. Come on, man. But I'm curious with you, with all the work you are doing and have done, not only on yourself, but the clients that you help heal, what is that line between being overly ambitious versus having manageable goals that you can actually create momentum with? What's that line? I very much think it's person to person based off of current personality because okay. me several years ago would not have been able to accomplish that many things in one year so for me this year some of mine actually japan is on my list because oh. my sister is studying japanese we might go as like a sister trip so she can like guide us and i always wanted to go but i'm intimidated because i know absolutely nothing of the language so that's also on my list plus uh, i want to do like a phlebotomy course i want to do a kundalini teacher training Several other, I want to actually, I think I'm going to go to Costa Rica for a month or Mexico, do a Spanish immersion for a full month. You know, so one, my life is set up in a way that I can do that because I work from home and all of my clients at this point are remote. So if I had a nine to five, like I used to, those things would not be feasible. So what I have all my clients do is look at like, quote unquote, roadblocks, which I'm looking for another word because that doesn't really feel genuine. But for lack of better terms, like what is standing in your way of accomplishing your goals? Is it, you know, the hours that you work? Do you have children? Do you have like a, a mental or emotional or physical disability of some kind? And then create realistic guidelines. And I think that maybe that is the it. If you want a one word answer is be realistic mm. for your life. Mm. You know, so if you are in a position, you know, to do these things and to travel, if that's part of it, or, you know, to go take classes and not need to be at a desk from nine to five like myself, or I think probably like two of you that would somewhat fit, then you can be quote unquote more ambitious. But again, like if you are totally new to revamping your life and to growing on purpose, then you might want to peel it back a little bit. And again, work on personality things. Like, do you need to be more resilient? Like, do you need to learn how to handle yourself in tough situations? Because that was me when I did my first Spanish immersion. i fucking cried like the first three days because <laughs> I was so overwhelmed and I tend to cry when I'm overwhelmed and I'm trying to stop doing that. And the only way I know how to do that is to keep making myself overwhelmed. And I don't mean it in terms of fact, like, I don't mean making myself overwhelmed in a way that I'm going to hurt myself or somebody else right. or, you know, do something major, but put myself in a situation where I'm uncomfortable and <laughs> just keep doing that until I don't cry anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Which I am getting there because that was last April. And like, it was really hard. Like my sister even asked me, she's like, do you want to go home? Because I guess the way that I was coming off to her was so like just losing it. And I was like, of course I don't want to go home. And she was like, I'm so confused. <laughs> but that's just how I deal with being overwhelmed is I like, I just cry and I can't help it. Or at least mm. I used to. And now it's getting better because I keep making myself uncomfortable in a way that I need to stay poised. You're training yourself. You're yeah. willfully putting yourself in situations so that you can have that experience. Absolutely. And right. um, respond to the stimuli in a different way, which is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
there's a, a bunch of things in my mind. I'm going to try to get them all out and see where they go. <laughs> okay, number one. Let me just list them out. Oh, wow. <laughs> really, like five minutes in. <laughs> We're actually tw- like 20 minutes Oh, oh wow. I know. Wow. wow. This is like what a good conversation is. Okay. First of all, I want to remind the listener that all the notes are at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. If you click up at the top on the podcast section, you'll get the notes to everything that we're talking about here, including information on Paige. So if you're going through a breakup and you want her support, <laughs> you'll know how to reach her. Or you want um, um, the most amazing health coaching in the world. Yes. Also. Coaching period. And I'm going to, we're going to talk about the consistency code, which we'll put in there and a couple of books that I want to mention. Mm-hmm. So just a reminder that you can find links to all of that, anything we talk about. So you don't have to like furiously write down notes <laughs> as you're listening. Or you could do that too. Especially not if you're in your car. We definitely don't want you to yeah. furiously <laughs> scribble notes while you're driving, especially if you have a stick shift. Please don't do that. Please don't. Okay. So the first thing, Jason, is that I'm curious, as we've been going through the Consistency Code program, which is our, our four-week coaching program, we just started in January, and I hope that we do several times, but we're in this kind of like beta test period right now to see how it goes with this first group. I am enjoying it immensely. And meanwhile, also thinking of so many different ways that we can just get, make it better and better. And the reason that we created this program was because we identified through surveys and conversations that one of the biggest challenges that people have is being consistent. And I just, it feels really good to be able to help people work through that. But I, I'm constantly learning all of these nuggets of information. So, number one, Jason, I'd love for you to share as part of the conversation some of the things that you're learning. Cause I know today you went into the community and read through the posts, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this this private community for the the consistency code and people are in there sharing really interesting things, don't you think? Yeah, it's no, like, it's, it's it's interesting when you give people a forum to be vulnerable. I thought I was curious how, were people actually going to write? Weren't you surprised, Jason, at how much people were sharing in there? Yeah, I mean, it's pleasantly surprising because I'm starting to see and again, maybe this is just what you look for, you end up seeing in life, right? Perspective. Yeah. yeah. How people are, I guess this is, a, I'll try and summarize my feelings on this. It's encouraging to me to see it. And it's also encouraging to, for me to see on social media as a zoom out from consistency code, more really deeply vulnerable shares from people. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way that I think feels authentic and not like a marketing tactic, yes, because sometimes exactly. you can see people sharing their vulnerability. And I don't know, intuitively, sometimes I'll have a reaction like, this feels like a marketing tactic for some reason. I don't know right. why, but my intuition will tell me that. Yes. But this as a microcosm for a larger conversation, I'm super bolstered and encouraged by seeing more people yeah, sharing their struggles, their pain, their disappointments, their humanness mm-hmm. instead of the highlight reel. Right. And I, I hope this is part of a title shift of our culture of really just people ripping off the masks and being who they are. Mm-hmm. Just Absolutely. really just being who the hell they are. So I'm curious in a moment, Jay, there are two other things I want to bring up, but something for you to think about as I'm sharing those things is, was there anything that stood out for you that was really interesting in, in these shares? Like people that, because so we asked our, the members of the consistency code to share the things that they're working towards. Yeah. And also ask them to post every day how they're working towards it, which I took that challenge upon myself. And that's really helped me be consistent. Yep. One of my big goals this year is to meditate every day. 
And just simply knowing that I agreed to post and be accountable for it every day, now I meditate every day, even if it's for a couple minutes. And so it was amazing for me that accountability has been one of the biggest things. If you know that somebody's counting on you and watching you and expecting something from you, you're so much more likely to do it. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can offer people as coaches, since all three of us do that, is just to simply be there for people to listen to them and then hold them accountable, let them know that you care. So Jason, I'd love for you to think if if anything stuck out for you while you're reading through the post. But a couple quick shares, which again will be in the show notes at wellevator.com, is I just on my way here in the car was listening to an audiobook. I started it when I left on my way to record. And it's called The Four Tendencies. It's by this woman named Gretchen Rubin, who a lot of people know from The Happiness Project. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yep. you've seen her name somewhere, yeah. if, since we're all really interested in, in personal development. And it's fascinating because she, she identified four different... Let's see, I don't know if she considers them personality quizzes. Oh, she said... Or personality types is what I meant to say. She said... The four tendencies distinguish how people tend to respond to expectations, outer expectations and inner expectations. And this is something based on what you were saying, Paige, about how people follow through with resolutions and all of that. And so again, I just started reading this book, but if anybody else wants to pick it up out of curiosity, there's four different types. There's an upholder, which means that you respond readily to outer and inner expectations. So it's like... um you just kind of do something. If somebody's like, I expect this of you, then you do it. Mm. Uh, number two is questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll meet an expectation if they think it makes sense. Essentially, they'll make all expectations into inner expectations. This is me. They often um, ask why a lot. I'm a big why person. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. I used to get in trouble at, when I worked at a corporate job because if I don't understand why you're asking me to do something, I struggle really hard. Me too. And so, yes. you know, but if you explain it to me, I can get on board, especially when I work for somebody else. I know that I am working towards their vision, not my own. I'm totally grounded in that. I get it, which is why I left and started my own yep. company because I couldn't do yep, that anymore. Um, sure. But I, I would always be kind of questioning like, well, why are we doing it this way? And couldn't this way be a little bit better or more organized? You know, yes. better is such a general term. We're so much alike. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jason, have you identified with either of those yet? I actually think I know what Jason's going to be. Mm-hmm. But Gretchen, the author, also said you should take the quiz and or read the book because sometimes we want to fit ourselves into one of these categories thinking it's the right one or I identify with it. It's kind of like the, the love five languages. Lo- love languages, exactly, <laughs> like which we'll also put in the description. It's like you hear one of these love languages and you're like, oh, that sounds like me. But until you take the quiz, you might not actually know what you are because mm-hmm. it takes a lot of reflection. Okay. So we have upholders, questioners. The third one is obligers who meet outer expectations, but struggle to meet expectations they impose on themselves. And then fourth is rebels who resist <laughs> Jason's eye. <laughs> he was like, I knew he was going to identify this. They resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I feel That's... like I'm working towards being that person because I am so over, like, you know, we're sp- back to you're supposed to do something by a certain age or act a certain way. You know, like I... 
I'll be 36 in March. And like, I will not get rid of my lip ring because it just feels like a part of who I am. And in fact, I'm like thinking of re-piercing my nose because it feels like more of who I am. And I miss having my head hair like blood red and black. I will say probably not going back to that because the upkeep is <laughs> a monster. But, you know, I would have thought by this age, I would have like been married and had kids live in the suburbs and like had no piercings and probably not nearly as many tattoos. And that, that just doesn't feel like who I am at all. And it's another part of the reason why I love working with young people, especially those who identify as women in their 20s, just telling them now and engraving it that like you don't have to fit a certain box. Mm-hmm. That is one of my biggest passions, especially I think kind of how I end up in this like breakup coaching thing, (laughs) you know, because and I went through this myself when I broke up with somebody at like 31. I was like, (gasps) you know, like, what is happening? This is I was not supposed to be single past like 30, whatever. And, you know, I'm still really good friends with that person. I love him. and He's amazing. But the things I have is done. He the one that has the cat down the street. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I, was, I was thinking about that cat earlier. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But fun. I would love to see that cat. Go just for a little it. backstory. You have no desire to see him. You just <laughs> want to see the cat. <laughs> You're hilarious. Sure, he'll let you. Well, years yeah. ago, Jason sent me a picture of that kitten. Yeah. And it was up for adoption. Right. And your boyfriend or your now previous <laughs> the person boyfriend. who I was dating at the yeah. time, <laughs> who wasn't the guy who has the cat now. He was probably going to find out now, found the cat and okay. then wasn't able to take care of her. And so I took her, but I was still mourning the loss of one of my cats. And so I fostered for a little bit, but I just I wasn't ready. And so I was like, how can I keep this cat and not keep this cat? <laughs> so nice. I was like, hey, X, I don't know if he wants his name on here, but I was like, do you want to watch this cat for me for a little bit? And then she never left his house. It's like regifting, kind of. Mm-hmm. Can you send me a sing? picture of this cat? Yeah, and maybe sure. we can put it in the show notes. I Jason could definitely send a picture of the kitten. Cat. Yeah, because I keep all photos. In fact, I was looking on my <laughs> iPhone. This is tan- This is the part of the podcast where it gets really tangential, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's because it's a conversation. I, I think I have 55,000 55? photos. Yeah, I think I last checked, I have 55,000 photos on my iPhone. But 55 is the magic because number. 55 yeah. is the magic number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so anytime you hear the, the number 55 page, mm-hmm. oh, no. you must pronounce it <laughs> <laughs> like a tiny Darth Vader, Donald Duck, <laughs> love child of Darth Vader and Donald Duck. Yeah, that's a perfect that's, I don't know why. We have to have Ellie so on long. the podcast to tell that story. We'll, we'll have Miss Keats. Okay. So to get back on track. <laughs> Where was the track? Why did I we... know. I, there was something else that we were going to get into before we, we got distracted. The, did we get to the... Oh, Rebel. We were on yes. Rebel. Oh. oh, you know what I was going to say? Okay. It's really interesting that you say that, page about yourself and younger women. So I'm really into TikTok right now. Have you started using it? I've tried. <laughs> But I don't get it. I honestly, Paige, you would thrive on TikTok. Hashtag middle age. Yes, exactly. You would thrive. I'm going to ask my nephews next week when I see them to explain it to me. It's really not that hard. It's a lot like Instagram stories. If you just think of it as an Instagram story, you're good. Okay. It's a lot of the similarities. Differences and a plus plus side. But I'm really interested in TikTok right now. And it's going to be like, it's already becoming like the big social media platform. But one thing that's really amazing about TikTok is studying people. If you want to just observe human beings and our society as a whole, it is like one of the most fascinating ways to do it. And I, I notice all these trends. First of all, there's a really great account that's all about this American girl who's living in Japan right now. Oh. And she posts like the most fascinating things about Japanese culture. So there's like, you get to see 
uh, sides of, of other ways of living. Yep. That's one cool thing about TikTok. But the second thing is that there's a lot of women in their 30s and men too, but most a lot of women are doing this who are talking about how what they thought their lives would be in their uh, 30s versus what it actually is. Expectation versus reality. And yeah. it's fascinating to me because it feels like a lot of them are like, I thought I was going to have kids right now and, I, and a husband. And yet here I am sitting on the couch watching TikTok or making my TikTok. It's like they're making fun of themselves and mm. almost being like... Self-deprecating? Yeah. And it kind of bothers me. I don't really like self, self-deprecating social media. I think it's relatable in one sense. But then it's also for someone like me, I'm like, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Like, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. But then when somebody or a lot of people continuously pointed out, then I start to think, is there something yes. wrong with me? Yes. I when tend- like I felt confident about myself and my situation, but then other people that I can relate to are saying something over and over and over again, I start to A, question it or B, like feel resentful. Like, why do you need to point? It's like when women around you are pointing out the flaws in their body and you're like, if that person's finding flaws in her body, then maybe I should be finding flaws in my own. And it's like, we kind of feel like we need to think or do the same thing. Jason's raising his hand. I have so, I, this is, if I may. Please. Can you pass the kombucha, please? Yeah, if I may. Okay, so on this subject of social media supporting young women having this conversation of expectation. A thing that I'm so curious about in this, it, I mean, I just want to bust it wide open if we can. Yes, and that's why we're here. Bust it wide open. <laughs> yeah. Bust it open. The mixed messages around, and I'm specifically asking both of you because my perspective as someone who identifies as male is completely different than what I experience on the receiving end of, I'm not on the receiving end of what I'm about to say, but this concept of slut shaming mm. and this whole thing about expressing one's sexuality, even in a, quote, artful way or authentic way, or however the hell you want to express it, it's up to you, that it's on the one hand, this thing that is celebrated because attention right now is the biggest currency we have, especially on media. (laughs) (laughs) Felt that in my core. It is. Attention attention is the biggest currency. And if we look at, and I'm going to bring this around to a condensed question, on the one hand, I've had friends and associates of ours in our industry go like, if I just showed my breasts and my ass and wore less clothes, I'd get more followers. We've and, had this conversation. And, 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 and I've seen some of them do it and get more followers. Yeah. But then them talk about how much they are derided and shamed for doing that very thing that they're rewarded for. Yep. So on the one hand, you're being rewarded for something that you're doing. And on the other hand, you're being slut shamed for the exact same thing. So I'm just curious as women in our culture right now, this compulsion or idea of, I want to express myself however the hell I want to express myself, but then being on the receiving end of attention and shame at the same time. And what is that like? And how do we navigate this brutality that is part of people thinking they should tell other people how to live their lives and what to do, which is part of a bigger issue? Well, I think one important point is receiving shame is receiving attention. You said attention is a currency. Absolutely agree. We never put a positive or a negative on it because you'll notice, you know, I mean, how many people do like shock type, you know, headlines or memes or this thing or that thing just to get people purposely arguing. Like I I saw a whole bunch. This was really funny. So, you know, there was 
a whole slew of, you know, vegan influencers talking about why they're no longer vegan. And then I actually saw a couple that were living and eating vegan, but saying, I no longer identify with the term anymore just to get people to actually watch the video or read the blurb and comment. So they were using that the idea that some people were no longer practicing veganism and using that headline in order to get people to comment, even though they were still practicing, if that makes any Got sense. Got it. Yes. So can you tell me your question? Is it like how, just how to navigate it was the question? I'm just curious, specifically as two beings who identify as women in our society, what it's like to be on the receiving end of that and what it's like to navigate the pressure of perhaps seeing other people in our industry or tangential industries who are getting a specific kind of attention or perhaps things that you both have posted of like, I mean, obviously, you know, Paige, other than being an incredible coach, you know, you have this affinity for dancing and moving your body and movement. And I know you have been on the receiving end of some really harsh negative comments. And I'm just curious how you've navigated that emotionally and what your relationship is to, I guess, full radical self-expression and not, not giving a shit what other people think. For sure. And you and I have talked about this several times, you know, because Jason, you've been such a huge help when I wanted to start my own business and branch out on my own. And I was like, slut shamed for like two straight days by two women not too long ago maybe a month and a half two months ago yeah because i reached out to jason about that what Can yeah you share any of the detail like maybe not naming names no totally so it was actually an older picture it was about two years old and the funny thing is that like it was just like a bikini heels but i had this like long coat on so my arms were completely covered my entire backside was more than 50 percent of my body was covered <laughs> like and then just like a bathing suit. And I was doing some modeling for fine art uh, imagery. My friend Christina is an amazing photographer, movement teacher. She does workshops, et cetera. We did some work together. So I had just like posted it for like a throwback Thursday or something. And this young woman, and if I'm being really honest, when I realized the comment was coming from women, I felt so betrayed. If it were men for me, I'd be like, I could brush it off a lot easier. But when it came from women, that really hurt. And day one, I was like, you know, a little of my confidence. I was like, well, you know, if people are making comments, at least I'm, I'm being seen. And, you know, that comes with the territory. But then when like day two, it was still going and I wasn't responding at all. It was the same person or a couple people that were saying the same thing over. Yeah. Like, this uh, like one going woman, through all your photos and doing it. It was really just the one photo, but it was people who follow me. They choose to follow me and, and see my content, receive my content. And the one woman was like, you know, I don't understand why women feel the need to like get naked, you know, for attention. And it's so funny because I use social media to grow my business. But if I could make it not about me, I would. And yeah. I try to keep it really health focused. But let's just get really uncomfortable right now, y'all. <laughs> so I have, you know, a format. If you haven't seen it, if I could do a little plug, it's Make Your Health a Priority, which is my Instagram and my, my website. So I have like checker, like one day or one post will be like a green block with some words, usually. Yeah. And those posts, to be honest, take me the longest. I will take three hours to research and write a post when it's on like nutrition, like the Shilajit for anemia. I will look up recent studies done on humans, like, you know, really, really good info. And those will get like between 20 and like 70 likes tops. But if I do one of my like modeling pictures that I do with fine art imagery, or if I do like, you know, a poll trick that I had learned recently, I mean, we're talking six, seven, eight hundred views, likes, whatever. 10 times the amount or more. Yeah. yeah. And those posts take me 10, 20 minutes tops to create. And it's tough because I am pouring my heart into the ones that I'm really researching that are about health or 
mental health or growth or whatever that's not just movement or my physical being. And I still do it because I still believe in those posts the most. And I I do have somebody who's coaching me on social media and he's trying to get me to stop doing that. But that's the part that's the most important to me. Now, I mean, he's trying to stop you get from doing the The informational posts in the same way. Like he wants me to do like more videos, essentially, Mm -hmm. which I'm on board with. And I'm not the person at this moment that can create a new video every single day because, again, I want mine to be really well researched and done correctly and have follow up information people can go look at versus just like, here's some information I'm spitting out. Because as a questioner, (laughs) I want other people to question it. Don't believe me just because I posted it and because I have a master's of nutrition. Like if you do, cool, but go look into what I'm saying as well, you know? And that's why I research so hard because I don't want to make a mistake. But you know, research changes and information changes. I mean, look at everything that's happened in the last couple of years. I know we've all been plant-based for multiple decades, probably, you know, being the only person that we knew to now Burger King, Dunkin' Donuts, et cetera, having options and people actually wanting and asking for it, you know, and now all the research that's actually showing long-term why plant-based is better for the health. Anyway, kind of rambling from your initial question. But the point is, like, even my coach is trying to get me to do less information, which is what I want to put in the world. That's my whole purpose of being on social media and starting my business and my website is to get people to make their health a priority in a way that fits within their life. You know, And then my main form of movement is pole dance. And I love it so much. It is the most fun I've ever had. I've never been stronger. I love the community. I love the constant, constant challenge. There's always a new combo or a new trick you can learn, regardless of how long you've been doing it. But I dislike sharing it because I'm worried people are thinking I'm doing it just for the attention. And I'm not because movement is such an important part of what I'm speaking of. And that's my main form of movement. And I'm not going to record myself in a yoga class because I find that disrespectful. You know, so I am kind of caught in the crossfire and I'm just getting to the point of mindfully not caring. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and I don't mean yeah. it like, fuck this, I don't care. Like, I, I think about this concept all the time of, of quote unquote, not caring. Right. But just not caring in a way that like, I know that I'm okay with it. And I know my reasons. And if these other women think that I'm doing it for attention, there's nothing that I can do about it. Right. And their opinion of me is none of my business. And so the more that I keep that in mind, you know, and to be honest, imagine, imagine being that person that takes the time to Think of really nasty, harsh, unkind things to say to another human being, takes the time to physically write them out and then to send it along to make sure that that is heard. Right. Because that's their, but that's the thing though. I think we're in this time of social media where that's acceptable Mm. is that there are, it is acceptable socially right now to bully people, to criticize people, to shame people online. And I think part of that, a lot of those comments come from people that are not doing what you're doing, Paige. And so what was the term that you used, Jason, about the currency? What was the term? Oh, attention is attention. the most That's valuable the currency right now. That's the way that they right get now. attention, yeah. yep. is they can start conversations with people. They can get your attention. You know, It's something I think about and deal with all the time too. And it's yeah. really, really challenging. And it's interesting too, what you're saying about social media, because I've been studying and coaching social media for over 10 years and watching it change so much over time. And right now, I feel like there is no right or wrong way to do social media. Some people may disagree, but if you could try... I've watched people do so many different things. 
And things that you would think would work don't work. And things that you think wouldn't work do work. And sometimes <laughs> it's the other way around. I mean, to me, there it has never been more confusing in terms of what to do. And I think ultimately what I keep coming back to is you have to follow your heart. So I wonder about this coach that you're working with because I hear you saying what you want to do, but then somebody's trying to advise you. And I think a lot of times that we listen to somebody despite what we want to do because we're second guessing. And then we get so wrapped up in social media and getting results. And we're in this time right now where people are posting things to get results and to get that attention. And we think we're, we're like so dependent on it. And for me, it's incredibly challenging. I think Jason struggled with this too, because Jason's taken a big step back from social media over the past six months or so. It's because it's like you can pour all this time into something and you don't get the results. And then you immediately question whether basically you question if you're doing something valuable. And then you do something that takes you no time at all. And that gets a lot of attention. But does that mean that that's the right kind of attention and that's going to get you results? This is actually happening a lot on TikTok again. To go back to that, the danger of TikTok right now is that people are becoming quote unquote TikTok famous. That's the yeah. phrase people use. But it's basically TikTok has kind of leveled the playing field where anybody can get millions of views. Oh, interesting. Very quickly, which is incredibly enticing. But now we're at this point where thousands, if not millions of people are getting millions of views. And now suddenly, what does influence mean if mm. anybody can get it? How is, you know, so suddenly we're in a place where what does it mean to be an expert? What does it mean to be an influencer? What does it mean to be the best at something when anybody can get to that level? So I think what's actually going to start to happen is that the numbers aren't going to matter anymore because if anybody can get the numbers and they lose their power. Yep. Right. And so if in a way that's very freeing, because if we're no longer interested in how many likes that we get or comments or followers, if we're just posting and people are resonating and then we're getting some deeper result from that, like a client, you know, ultimately, if we, we're coming back to our goals, it's probably to get people to enroll in something, to buy something, to do something that we're deeply connected to. But we're so distracted by the numbers, it's actually pulling us farther away from adding deep value. I think that this is such a fascinating topic because how do I say this respectfully? Let me figure out a way to formulate this in a respectful manner. I think we live in an armchair expert culture right now mm. where someone can go to a weekend coaching seminar or take a month-long nutrition course and they come out on the other end and suddenly they're an expert and they're coaching people and they're doing things and taking seriously serious responsibility for other people's mental and physical and spiritual wellness. And it's almost, in, it's kind of an, I'm going to use the word an epidemic, at least the way I'm kind of viewing it, yep. where it's like, and this has nothing to do with age, okay? But I'm just using this as an example. It's like, I went to this weekend seminar and now I'm a 23-year-old life coach. And it's like, <laughs> but you what qualifies <laughs> you? What qualifies you to do? And I'm sorry, anyone who's 23, it's not about your age. I'm just using this as, as an illustrative example. But zooming out of this page, you know, your journey of getting a master's in nutrition and living it and breathing it and bleeding for it and researching it and you you it's in you, right? This yeah. is something you're so passionate about. How do you navigate the waters of this, mm -hmm. as Whitney so brilliantly illustrated of, you know, when someone has these massive followings or there's the you know, they're they they go to this weekend seminar and then all of a sudden they're labeling themselves in, as an expert. And I guess it it's this question I'm trying to formulate the question of we demonstrate our value and the truth of who we are and how much dedication and time we've put into our craft. 
and hope that's enough to attract the right people, right? right? But doesn't it get frustrating sometimes to be like, well, if everyone's calling themselves an expert and a coach and a master in and whatever their field and an influencer, then how do you sift through the bullshit and get to the people yeah. who actually know what the hell they're talking about? Well, I think we're on the verge of, of a new thing. I think like social media is just going to hit this point, its saturation point. With just so many people, it's just not going to matter. You're looking for the kombucha. <laughs> Little shout out to Revive Kombucha, which the three of us are drinking right now. Actually, it's interesting too. I There's a really great book. I think it's called You Should Talk to Somebody. It's about by a therapist. I'm going to look this up right now. Her name's Lori. She's an author, therapist, and speaker. And she is an incredible writer. In fact, Paige, speaking of breakups, her book, Marry Him, the case for settling for Mr. Good Enough. It is Ooh, a phenomenal read. <laughs> I will put that in the the show notes too. That book was mind blowing for me because it's it's actually targeted towards women in their thirties yeah. and how a lot of women are. But what? How a lot of women are so picky that they end up not getting married, and then suddenly they're they feel too old and the dating pool is shrunk down. It was a really interesting book because I could see both sides of her point. And so I recommend reading it because part of her point was that you should kind of settle for Mr. Good Enough versus Mr. Perfect, always looking for Mr. Perfect. Mm. And then part of me was like, what do you mean? I'm not settling for something that's good enough. So I felt very triggered by the book, but it's a great read. She also wrote a book about therapy. And my point being, on Instagram, I follow her. She is being interviewed on all these big talk shows. Good morning. If you pull it up, she's on Good Morning America and Larry King. She has best-selling books. I might have heard of her books from like Elizabeth Gilbert or someone mm-hmm. who wrote You Pray Love, right? To me, she seems like an incredibly successful author, therapist, and speaker. She also was on a podcast. I think it might be called Armchair Expert. It's the one with Dax. His podcast is called Armchair Expert. Oh. And he was. she was recently <laughs> interviewed on his podcast. So it's funny you bring that up. My point being, she has 9,000 followers on Instagram. Interesting. So she is a hugely knowledgeable, successful person. And you would think that someone, based on all the connections and all the people that are promoting her, that she would have these huge numbers. But she doesn't. And that's okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what we expect these days, which is like, if you're successful, you need to have all these numbers. But then again, her numbers are probably the numbers of books that she's selling and the numbers of people that she's reaching on television and you know all these other things. She doesn't need the social media numbers to be successful. But we're in this time where we're so obsessed with our Instagram numbers and all these other numbers that it might actually be taking us away from giving something of true value if we're so focused on that. Because then the intention is different, right? Yeah. I've been thinking about this just this week, you know, because I haven't posted to Instagram since... December, December 31st thing I did, but I I didn't haven't yet in January. And part of that is because I don't right now I don't have any content that I feel is up to par with what I want to put out there. And to be honest, I was just really enjoying my life. (laughs) I've been going to (laughs) Golden State Yoga every day, which is on 54th and York. This yoga place, I've done yoga on and off for well over a decade, but I've never done it consistently because I I need soul. And I went to this place uh, run by Dylan and Nikki and the soul, so much soul. And I've never sweated so much. I've been going consistently for a month. I am way better at pole, way better at pole, like noticeably different in a month. 
anyway, my point is like just really needing to connect to the studio. And that's mm-hmm. that's what I did for me. Right. And I, to be honest, lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to take that opportunity to bring up one thing I meant to bring up a while back, which is another book I just started reading yesterday and I'm already a fourth to a third of the way through. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I'm literally someone who reads at least 10 books at once, audiobook. I'm switching between a ton of different books. And this one is blowing my mind. So I have to give a plug because it's like, I feel like it's got to be a must read. It's called It Didn't Start With You. (gasps) How did you read this? It's on my list. Yeah. And it didn't start with you. How inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle. And let me tell you from the very first page, it was mind blowing. Mind. I mean, this book had me sobbing. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Had wow. me just. I feel like my heart's been broken open just reading this yeah. book. And the data, which I think Paige would deeply appreciate, yeah. the data of this book about epigenetics is super fascinating. But also the healing of it, and it is so well written. I am just. I can't get enough of this book. I might finish it tonight if I can. Oh my God. I mean, it's so good. So, of course, that'll be in the show notes at wellevator.com, W E L L E V A T R.com. And uh, add that to your list. I would say if you had to pick between the other books I've mentioned, I mean, Lori's books are great and Gretchen's books are great, but I would start with It Didn't Start With You because it really starts to, the part of the point of the book from what I've gathered so far. I think so many of us, especially the three of us and anyone listening is probably in a similar state of mind is we want to take so much responsibility for ourselves. But sometimes we overly take responsibility Mm. and we think that we're the ones to blame. So actually coming back, I think the reason I thought of this book was, Paige, when you were talking earlier about breakups and how girls feel like it's their fault. And men, I'm sure, feel this way too, right? Oh, it's my fault that person left me. Yep. And what could I do to heal it and all these things? And we do this with our health too, right? I mean, I've struggled with my body my whole life and I feel like I've tried everything. And when I read books like this, I think, wow, maybe my body is the way it is because of my my genetics, right? I could try all of these different things, but maybe it's impossible for me to get the results that other women get, right? Maybe I cannot change it because of my family history, right? Or maybe. I'm struggling with things in my life emotionally because of things that have been passed down through me through my DNA. And that's that's the theory of this book based on a lot of data is that because of how the body is developing, like our grandmothers, basically we start to develop within our grandmothers. Totally. I can actually speak right? on that. Yeah. So is literally just DNA. So for example, A baby can be born with high cortisol, which is known as a stress hormone. I hate calling it that because it is so important to our circadian rhythm. It's not just about stress is what gets us up in the morning and moving. It's not just about stress. So let's just put that out there. But anyway, if it is too high, that can actually make you insulin resistant because it impacts the beta cells, the pancreas. But a baby can be born with high cortisol if their mother has a very stressed out pregnancy mentally or emotionally. And another example is that statistically, children who develop childhood cancer have a father who smoked. 
And even if they quit before the child was yep. born, it's because the carcinogens from <laughs> the way Jason's looking right now is so awesome. <laughs> the carcinogens from the smoke impacts the DNA of the sperm, which then causes the child to be more likely to have cancer, even if the father quit. But like right before they were conceived or never smoked physically, like always, always went outside. It doesn't matter because they have disrupted their DNA, which is why I do what I do. And we look at nutrients from a cellular level. And I I beg people in their 20s and 30s to come to me. Absolutely beg them because that's when disease starts to develop. And like, let's just continue with cancer, right? We already know why we get cancer. You know, there's toxins and pollution and crappy food everywhere. And even if you are doing infrared saunas and eating, you know, a raw plant-based diet and this thing and that thing, your body might be low in a specific nutrient. So like smoking, again, depletes vitamin C and glutathione to extremely, and vitamin E as well, but basically all of them, but (laughs) those two main. And then our body can't fight off tumors. We actually get tumors all of the time, all of the time, and don't realize it because our body should be able to resolve it on its own. But when we are consuming toxins through food or franken food or, you know, just straight up chemicals, plus we have the screens and we're not sleeping and pollution from above, we are just not getting enough to continuously fight it off. So when we look at your nutrient deficiencies from a cellular level, then it can help some of the stuff that you were talking about, Whitney. Now, of course, like like eye color outside of like contacts, like it is what it is, at least for now. It's <laughs> scary. But, you know, with like body shape and stuff like that, we may be able to do little tweaks, you know, but more importantly, focusing on health and mental health and making sure that we're just fighting off disease is, is really going to be the main thing. But yes, it can absolutely like if you have like damaged DNA from a grandparent, another perfect example, like what is it? The um, is the DDT they used to like literally just spray in the streets. They would physically yeah. spray children in the playground. My mother was a nurse anesthetist for 30 years. They used to bathe patients in it upon arrival and before they left. And so there's a lot of talk about how it's in our great grandparents or grandparents DNA. And so we may actually be born with high levels of glyphosate because mm-hmm. it was sprayed on to our grandparents when they were playing in the playground which is all just nuts. And, and I kind of want to loop back to Jason's question that never got answered. <laughs> this is an amazing conversation. Good memory. Um, and I remember my train of thought while I was talking about yoga and like going to the pole studio and I haven't been posting because I was just really enjoying my life. I was having game nights with my friends and, you know, making organic non-GMO popcorn on the stove and just like doing all of those things. And in the back of my mind, like I know I'm going to be quote unquote punished by the algorithm and it's going to be harder to get those likes and attention again, which for me, I don't really care about the likes. I just want to get my information out there. And if I'm being totally honest, I want to get my business going so that I can survive. <laughs> Let me just you know? plug TikTok one more time. I saw this yeah. <laughs> great post today. I'll show you later, Paige, and yeah. I can link to this. I, if I remember, there was this author there's actually a lot of people that go on TikTok and show the difference between their Instagram accounts yeah. and their TikTok accounts. And they said, I've been trying for years and years to get clients through Instagram and just a few posts on TikTok. And now I'm selling my books like crazy. Oh, so amazing. I'm just saying, okay. like, I I'll mean, more. <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing. It's like, it's so sad to hear you say, like, you, here you are enjoying your life. And yet you're afraid. And I, me too, I've fallen to this too. I mean, there have been periods in my life where I, I didn't want to post on YouTube and I was quote unquote punished by the algorithm because I wasn't posting consistently. And it's like, so you're basically, these platforms are training us to think that if we don't post and we sacrifice our self-care, that we're going to get punished. 
for not posting. And you will. Now we are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the good news is that it's constantly changing. And Instagram, yeah. YouTube, TikTok, all these platforms are constantly changing. And so it's just like triggering me right now because you should be enjoying popcorn on the stove and game nights <laughs> with your friends without worrying about the algorithm. Like It's ridiculous that we live in this time right now where we're basically controlled by these platforms yes. that are manipulating us into thinking we can't take care of ourselves and enjoy our lives yes. because otherwise we're not going to get the results. I just refuse yeah. to believe that. And I'm so glad that there are people like Lori, that author, who's proving that she can be incredibly successful, get huge names sharing her content, be on these big platforms without having a massive Instagram following. And right. that's something I've been thinking about too is what is starting to happen. And this will then actually answer Jason's question that I am getting more and more word of mouth because my clients are seeing such great results in a really short period of time. And so back to your original question from like 30 minutes ago, Jason, about how to like decipher the people who like just took a training course over the weekend. Right. So a couple of things at first, it used to really get under my skin, if I'm being honest, because I went through a lot of school. I had like a thousand hour internship, like there was a lot that went into it. And you can also see that in my credentials. So like, all I can really speak on is nutritionist, you know, but like, look for somebody who is board certified, look for somebody who can order and read lab work for you. And I always offer a free 20 minute consult so that they can make sure I'm the right practitioner for them as well. Because yes, I have the tools to help absolutely anybody. And I truly believe that in terms of like, you know, symptoms or disease, but personality is a whole other thing. If you're not going to be all in, I'm not the practitioner for you. And that doesn't necessarily mean you drop everything and like you meditate every day for an hour and you run every day for an hour. It means that you are willing to really try and you are willing to try the plan that we, and I say we, because I work with the person, like we go through their schedule. We talk about if they have kids and like when and where and how you know, to make sure that that we're a really good fit. And I talk about my process, you know, they tell me the symptoms really briefly in this free 20 minute console. And then I'm like, all right, this is how I would execute this with you without giving out like too much information because that take, would take forever, <laughs> more than 20 minutes. And then they get to decide. And so the proof is going to be in the pudding, as they say. And I think there are some people that might have some really great skills. And I don't really know what a life coach totally does. But and somebody might help you eat a little healthier, you know, but I also do like sleep coaching and balancing the circadian rhythm and apparently now breakup coaching. And I actually I had a client, I helped her get through a job that wasn't serving her. One of her tasks was to look for new jobs because literally three days out of the week, she would be crying in bed, drinking wine because of the toxicity at work. And I'm like, all right, one of your tasks, and this is not nutrition related at all, but it is because stress impacts our nutrition is I just want you to apply to other jobs. And she did, got a new job and her health escalated. Wow. Amazing. You know, I've Amazing. seen so many people in toxic relationships who have stomach issues or mental health issues that once they just get out of those situations, they start improving. So that in summary, that's how I would kind of decipher, like, what are their credentials? What can they actually like legally do? And especially with nutrition, it depends state to state. Some states, I believe, I believe Colorado, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. Anybody, legally speaking. But California is a little bit more strict. So if you call yourself a nutritionist, but you're not board certified, that I believe is a felony. I don't know, maybe, maybe. But because you're misrepresenting yourself. So it depends state to state, which in some ways makes it really difficult because somebody could legally call themselves a nutritionist or could be illegally calling themselves that and not actually be able to help you get like lab work because 
that matters because I can, you know, I had a food sensitivity to coconut, blueberries, and something else that was unbelievably quote unquote healthy, but for my body that wasn't working. And I had to abstain from that for a while. So if somebody's giving you like a cookie cutter food plan and it's full of foods that aggravate your IBS or your acne, or, you know, it's a food sensitivity. So you're getting headaches or back pain or this thing or that thing. And they're not testing you from a cellular level on what you're low in. They can only help you to a certain degree. Right. So it depends on how deep you're trying to heal and what you're trying to achieve and what they can legally help you do. I think that that's actually the greatest summary of and the answer to Jason is it's a difference between depth and short. You know, it's just a depth question, right? So somebody that's spending a ton of time, years and years of experience is knows things on a just a deeper level is going to be able to provide something completely different than someone who's brand new and maybe only has a little bit of education. That doesn't mean that one thing isn't useful, sure. right? I think that there's a benefit to these health coaches, these life coaches. They do have information and perspective, but it just isn't the same type of depth, right? Mm. It's like, what's that phrase, a mile deep or an inch? What is it? You would oh, know. A mile wide and an inch deep. Yes, mm. right? Mm. It's and, and we live in this time right now I mean, as human beings, we are usually looking for shortcuts. Like, how quickly can we get a return on investment for something? And social media has really brought that out of us. Because again, platforms like TikTok, you can go on there, post one video, get thousands of views or you know thousands of followers, and suddenly feel like you're an influencer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, TikTok is the shortcut right now. And that's honestly how I view it, for better or for worse. Instagram was a shortcut for a lot of people. People got influenced really fast and they're they're making money on there and then they're becoming health coaches or life coaches or they're creating meal plans and recipes and all this stuff. It's a lot of people are just drawn to how can I make money or how can I get attention as quickly as possible? But the challenge is, is that as human beings, we also crave depth, but we're misled by all of these different opportunities to get results really quickly. So it's kind of like everybody just has to figure it out for themselves. You know, if they want a really good coach, they might have to try a bunch of quote unquote shallow people before they find someone like Paige who is dedicated to going deep, right? It's like anything else. We we look at food and you can find all these quick fixes with food, fast food. You could consider like a shallow food. You're not Mm -hmm. getting nutrients, but you're feeling full. And so it's misleading your body. Mm -hmm. It's cheap Mm -hmm. and it's fast. So it feels really good, tastes good, but it doesn't actually make us feel good and it might be detrimental. And I think that's the sad thing to Jason's point is we're in this time where there's just a lot of fast food information out there on social media. And it's it's very confusing to us as human beings because people keep getting misled. And then those of us who are dedicated to going really deep and providing something nutritious information-wise are feeling like we're being missed, you know, that people aren't noticing us and that we're not being valued and we're not, you know, getting the results that we want. I mean, my personal standpoint on that is that we just have to keep going and we just have to keep trying. And and word of mouth is one of the greatest Mm -hmm. things any of us can ask for, because if somebody really wants something valuable, they're going to tell their friends and they're going to ask their friends for that information and find you eventually. Yeah. So I think you nailed it. Like people are craving vulnerability that is truly authentic and They're afraid to be vulnerable because of people like the ones who are approaching me. I made myself vulnerable. And the one woman even made the comment. She's like, well, if you post stuff like that, 
you should expect You're comments like this. It. It's like, okay, Ooh, well, wow. if I, you know, wow. pass that on the street, does that mean I'm, you know, I'm asking for being pickpocketed or molested? Like, just because somebody is vulnerable doesn't mean that you should or can, without consequence, bully them, right. you know, or whatever other word you, I don't know. But doesn't that just make you wonder about where they're at mentally? Exactly. I mean, in pain. That's a human yep. being who is in or pain. The, yep. Or it's a complete perspective of ignorance. And going back to that book about the family trauma, which is called It Didn't Start With You, who knows how their parents raised them? And who knows how their grandparents raised their parents? I think that's one of the reasons this book is touching me so much. It's not just having me reflect about my own life. It's opening up my mind to the fact that a lot of people are suffering and they don't know how to stop suffering. They might not be aware that they're suffering. Or why and the source lash- of the suffering. They might be just lashing out because of all of this deep pain that most of us experience in one way or another. So maybe that person that said those things to you, Paige, literally doesn't know any better. That's or, right, or she just desperately wants to hurt you so that you feel the same way she does so that she's not alone. Yeah. yeah. Or Absolutely. she's envious of you because she wishes that she had the bravery and the vulnerability to do the things that you're doing. And she, you know, it's like, that mirror thing is uh, you see somebody doing something and if it bothers you, it's just reminding you of something within yourself. But if you don't have that awareness of that, you might think that, oh, I don't relate to that. This is wrong. I mean, that's the other thing, this right or wrong culture <sighs> or this mentality that Good we have, right? Is in, on social media, a lot of the bullying is coming from people that want to shame somebody because they don't believe, they don't agree with what they're doing. We do so much shaming on social media and it's like this culture rewards people for doing things the right way and then shames them or criticizes them for doing things the wrong way. But who even says what is right and wrong? Well, it's tyranny of the majority. That's exactly what this is. It's if you identify Mm. as a person who worships this, follows this sports team, are of this gender, are of this dietary preference. Whatever the arbitrary title or segment of population is, then you ought to show up, feel, or act in this way. And if you don't, we're going to, t- and I'm going to use this, we're going to terrorize you because you don't think, feel, or act the way we think you should based on you being a Muslim, a Christian, a Democrat, a Republican, a liberal, a transgender, a male, a wo- whatever it is, like you ought to act this way because you're that thing. What do you mean you feel differently than us? What do you mean you think different? You can't do that. We didn't raise you that way. It's, it's like a control it, it is, thing. It, it is a tyranny of the majority, yeah. because, but, but it terrifies people because if they see an outlier, then wait, if this person doesn't believe what we believe or thinks differently, then maybe that means I have to look at my own beliefs. There it is. And I have to look at the depth of if I actually believe what I'm saying. And I think it terrifies people. Absolutely. It terrifies people because then they have to look at themselves or not. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely does. But that binary system of right-wrong is is the cause of so much conflict in this world. And I think one of the things that I get hung up on is, and I'll go there, people who consider themselves, oh boy, whatever it is, liberal, Democrat, well, we're right because they're doing all this bad stuff over there and we're the good people. You can see we're, we're the good people. We're on the side of righteousness because we're doing all the right things and we're protecting people's rights. And, and it can be very, very tantalizing to believe if we are compassionate, good-hearted, liberal people to point fingers and say, you're the bad ones because you're Republican, you're conservative, you voted for the oil companies, you're pro-Trump, whatever the hell it is. 
And all I see in society right now is just a bunch of stones being thrown at each other, nations throwing stones, people throwing stones, religion throwing stones, which is, I'm right, you're wrong, and here's why. But it's a slippery slope to think that if we're on the side of, quote, righteousness, that we have the answer. But it goes on both sides. And I've had conversations with people who maybe have the same kind of political or religious or spiritual beliefs I do, and they're like, yeah, but they are wrong. I'm like, Mm. no, they're not. They believe they're right too. So who's right then? Yeah. You're pro-oil, you're anti-oil, you're pro... Uh, there's a million different topics we could bring up, but the dangerousness is, is in thinking that you have the ethical upper hand or you think you are more righteous than another person. And that's the basis for war, I think. Absolutely. For and war. I, for me, and it kind of goes back to things we were talking about earlier, but it's all about lenses, right? And you know, I love that you're talking about all the books because that's actually one thing I do for my clients is after we like have our initial consult, I give them a recommended book list. On books they would enjoy if they get them great if not there's What's all I can one do off about the top it. of your head four agreements is yes. often on there uh the fear cure which actually jason mm. gave to me which was Leah whitney yeah oh amazing one book. of my favorite I books ever on my shelf somewhere. um childhood it's right there oh amazing <laughs> childhood disrupted which is you know very similar to the one that you were talking about i was going to ask you about that because mm. when she was talking about the trauma i remember you told me about that book years yeah. ago yeah that book I wish I had never used the term life-changing before because now this is the first time it feels real. It introduced me to like kundalini yoga and uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, also called MBSR. And those two practices, because I was already eating really healthy, had been doing that for about a decade and I was pretty good about my movement, but I wasn't meditating and I was trying to supplement my mental health and it doesn't work that way. (laughs) So those books... And also becoming supernatural and the full catastrophe living, all like kind of meditation, mental health kind of books were the ones that finally actually made me feel and believe I was a healthy person, gave me the tools that I needed to actually succeed at being happy, which is honestly like the real success that I'm interested in. And like, I'll be honest, yes, I want a roof over my head and like a yearly vacation would be nice. But like, as long as I feel happy, I'm good and I can move from that space no matter what. And the the Kundalini specifically and the MBSR just, they are both clinically proven to reshape and rewire your brain. So one of the things that I learned from reading Childhood Disrupted is if you do have childhood trauma or any kind of PTSD, so we'll just put it out there, PTSD, generally speaking, your amygdala in the brain might be really, really overdeveloped and your prefrontal cortex gets very underdeveloped. And there's actually two different genes that we know of so far that can get turned on when you have trauma, specifically childhood trauma. One makes you physically more sensitive to pain and one makes you more emotionally sensitive to pain. So when we talk about like snowflakes and all those stupid terms get tossed around, like there are genetic reasons for that for people that have had really traumatic experiences. So and again, it all goes back to lens, like something that you might find offensive or really painful is not something that I would find really offensive or painful. You know, like I'm always trying to get my partner to chew better because he just like scarfs down his food. (laughs) And so it's become a little bit of an inside joke, but it just came out recently that he takes that as me judging him. And I didn't realize that because it's not a judgment in my brain. It's just like, this is the thing I know is better for your health. And so I'm just going to be like, hey, chew, you know, like, and because we're at the point now where I feel like I communicate that way, but apparently sometimes I need to be a little bit more nurturing in my delivery. It was astonishing to me because I try so hard not to be judgmental in any way that I can, you know, not to put things in categories, good versus bad or this thing or that thing. 
And that goes back to things that he's dealing with in terms Mm -hmm. of not feeling enough or constantly being judged. And so we kind of broke open our relationship a little bit and got to talk about that. And it was really helpful to know that my delivery came off as judgment because that is so not my intention. It's not my lens, but that's his lens of receiving. And that really makes a difference. But just knowing that everybody has different experiences and different backgrounds and literally just sees the world differently. You know, like you said, people who may be voting oil or Republican in whatever those categories we tend to put them in, they do think that they are right. And, you know, look at abortion. Like, People who are against abortion, they really think that you are murdering a child that is very real for them. That is visceral. Yes. You know, so to tell them that they are, quote unquote, wrong, that's not how to have those discussions. You know what I mean? So I always consider somebody lens like when I was being slut shamed, I'm just trying to see like to them, I am truly disrespecting myself, truly disrespecting myself. And I don't give a shit what they think. (laughs) Like, you know, and I I mean that with complete loving kindness. It's not like, I don't give a shit, fuck you. It's like, cool. Meaning like you're, maybe you can respect them for having a different opinion, but that doesn't mean that you're going to change. Exactly. I think that's the other thing is there's this desire to control other people. Like Mm. you want to tell somebody that, they're doing things wrong because you're hoping that they'll change so that they're in agreement with you. And that then reinforces the fact that you're right. Yeah. Because maybe they feel unsafe seeing you do something or they're, they disagree and maybe similar. Actually, this is a, it's always like a good way to rethink things. So going back to what you were saying about your partner and the chewing, you meant that lovingly. And Believe me, I'm that same type of person. <laughs> I, I'm like, did you know that? The, like, I it's always coming from this place of wanting to help. Yes. But the problem with wanting to help is you always have to remember that people need to give you their permission to uh, offer the advice. Yep. Jason and I have had to work through this a lot as friends is like asking, hey, can I give you feedback? Or hey, can I make it a suggestion? Pre-qualifying it yes. to see if I'm open in that moment to receive it. I love it. that. Right. I love That's that. one thing. But then another th- is knowing that information can be misinterpreted even when we have the best intentions. And so I wonder if maybe you can use that as a flip in your situation with these women is maybe they actually were trying to come from a good place. Mm. Maybe in their head, they were trying to give you advice. This happened to me once, actually. One of my good friends years ago, pre-Instagram, Instagram is actually like just starting to rise up as a social media platform. Pre-Instagram, people were using Facebook a lot more for photos. Remember that time? Yeah. Like that's the place that you posted your photos people publicly. People made albums. Yeah. <laughs> Way back then. <laughs> we made albums. And I'm sure some people still make albums and on people Facebook. people look at them now, let's be honest. Yes. Right? It was like, it was just like where you collected things. And this is also pre-influencer. I got determined to figure out how to take really good photos of myself. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was a very solid photographer. And we went out and did a number of photo shoots. And I felt so empowered and excited by learning how to pose on camera. Mm. And I started getting into doing photo shoots. And I was working with other photographers. And they were taking pictures of me. Saying that now, everyone's like, yeah, of course. I can completely relate to that. But back in this like 2011, 2012, 
it wasn't as common because Instagram influencers is not what it is today. Today, it's like everybody's doing photo shoots. You drive through LA and right. you are very likely to see somebody doing a photo shoot on like the side of a road. Bridge, yes. You know what I mean? Like, All over the place. And right? it probably looks dope after it comes out. Yeah. Because I, I don't have that type of creative mind. I'm working on it myself because I'm interested in photography. But I like I look at that and I'm like, what are they doing? But then on the other end of it, like they could be in a baby pool and it looks like they're in like a, you know, limitless ocean or something. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's truly remarkable. Photography has really shifted a lot in the past. It's 2020 now. So in the past 10 years. So almost 10 years ago when I was doing, let's just say eight years ago, when I was doing these photo shoots, for me, I saw it as A, I felt validated because I was like, wow, I can look good on camera. My motivation was that I didn't feel comfortable on camera and I didn't like the photos that I had of myself and I wanted to have some good headshots. I wanted to learn how to pose. Like It was a learning experience, but it was also partially an ego-based thing. It was like, I can have nice photos of myself and post them on social media and get validation. So I was doing that. I was posting these pictures on Facebook and one of my close friends called me up on the phone and was like, hey, just so you know... A number of people have come to me and said that they think it's really weird that you're posting these photos. And apparently, she and her partner, and then some other person who she wouldn't tell me their name, the all three of them were like, why is Whitney posting these photos of herself? Like, And they were all like concerned that I was getting too self-absorbed. And it was such a confronting experience because for me, it brought up a lot of shame because mm. I felt like I was being shamed for posting pitch flattering photos of myself. And it, it like felt so crushing because here I was feeling brave and courageous for getting in front of the camera. But it, I also saw a truth in what she was saying. It, it gave me an opportunity to step back and be like, hmm, okay. Yeah, there is some truth that like there is some ego and, and thus like self-absorption and me posting nice photos of myself. Right. Which again is funny because that's so commonplace now in 2020 and the recent years, like self absorption is like rampant on social media. Everyone's posting flattering photos of themselves. Back then it wasn't as common. So maybe that's why it's, it took out to some people. Right. But I just remember feeling very conflicted about that feedback from a close friend because I knew that she was trying to come from a good place. But there was also part of me thinking like, does she feel insecure about herself because she wasn't doing those photos? Was there like a jealousy thing? Was she motivated by like jealousy or did she have like a shaming quality to her where she saw a woman posting flattering photos and was like, how dare she post flattering photos and show off her appearance, right? There were so many layers to that feedback. To this day, I still don't know fully what was happening there. It reminds me of what you were sharing, Paige. It's like other women wanting to like share their opinions about what a woman is doing. But we do this all the time through the media, through magazines, through television shows and YouTube and all these different platforms. We're very commonly judging celebrities for what they're wearing at award shows and what they're saying and how they're at. You know, it's like we are in a culture of judgment. And so no wonder especially with social media, people feel like it's acceptable to go and say, hey, Paige, like maybe you shouldn't be dressing that way yeah. in your photos. Like they think it's okay to say that to you. And maybe in their head, they are meaning well, but maybe they haven't taken the time to think about how that might affect you. So maybe the yeah. solution is more of 
hey, Paige, would you mind if I gave you some feedback and get your permission first? Or maybe to privately say it to mm. you. Like, do you think it would have felt better if that person had privately messaged you? It would have felt much different. It would have felt like they were coming from a place of, I have concern and I'm reaching out versus I have judgment and I'm reaching Mm. out. And specifically with your scenario, what I was hearing is a judgment of the unknown. They didn't understand why you were doing it. And so they judged it. You know, we talk about the fear of the unknown, which is very, very real. And that's usually because we are judging the unknown. and. If they don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, they don't need to have an opinion about it or to voice that opinion, you know, because the truth is like, that's how I live my life. Like I do like wear underwear and bikinis all the time because it's comfortable and I like it. You know, I personally don't tend to do photo shoots of like all my own clothing I just brought from home and stuff that I like had danced in. I was like, let's take pictures in the stuff that I have, you know? Because that was like a true representation of how I live my life and what I do day to day. So I guess to be judged on that so harshly and the, the one comment that like really like this actually made me cry. I did cry on day two because I was so like day one, I was like, I'm overcoming this. This is fun. I talked to Jason. I'm just going to ignore this. <laughs> then day two, the second woman chimed in and said that I shouldn't be posting pictures because my body type promotes eating disorders. Whoa. Whoa. So that was Whoa. a turning point for me when I felt like it wasn't oh, a place God. of caring. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a thin woman. I just, I am. I always have been. All the women in my family are usually until they get pregnant and they get a little more curvaceous. My sisters are built exactly like me. You know, that's just, that. that's how it is. And I face issues too, you know. I remember the first time I was bullied for not having boobs when I was in fifth grade by my two female best friends. And I developed slowly in my sexuality and in my physical womanly body. And it just, it was so not on my radar that I didn't have breasts in fifth grade. And we were like at some amusement park and they're making fun of me in the back seat. And I like, it took me a minute to realize what was going on because I was just like, why are we even talking about this? You know? Mm. And then like my boobs never came. <laughs> so that like shaming and bullying continued. I've had several people, male and female, ask me if I ever considered getting breast implants, like mm, out of yeah. nowhere. And I'm like, what have you? Why would I consider that? Like, you know, so even like today, like especially now that like twerking and booties and voluptuous women are so highlighted, which I think is dope because for so long, I remember in like the 90s, early 2000s, it was like thin, 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 don't have an ass, don't have a waist but have huge rack, you know what I mean? And now it's cool that different body types are being celebrated. But now it's like, if you don't have this curvy hourglass, you know, and like I missed the window, like in that 90s androgynous, (laughs) like CK1, (laughs) that would have been my prime to be an adult, but I was was still a teen. You know, so it did bring up some of the, like to say that my body inspires eating disorders, (laughs) like that was tough to receive. You know, um, I but again, th- it's that it's that person's filter. It's yeah, just like exactly and that lens. And that's that I think is one of the hardest parts about receiving comments like that is no matter how logical it is to you that it's their lens, it still hurts. Exactly. And you can't. That's the thing that I've struggled with so much is I'm like, if only I can just get out of my feelings by being logical. Right. If I can just find the logical reason for why somebody said these things to me, then I won't feel so bad. And I have not found that to work. The truth is, is that some people say things to you that hits an old wound and maybe they didn't intend to hit that wound. Maybe they did intend to help. Let's just assume best intentions. Maybe that person thinks that you shouldn't show your body 
because it's promoting eating disorders in their head, they're helping people that that mm-hmm. might be triggered by your body, right? Yeah. I'm sure in, there's some line of thinking for them that thinks that they're doing the right thing as we've been talking about. And they probably didn't realize how much that would hurt you. Hopeful. Let's just hope that they didn't intend on hurting you, right? But even if, let's say they did intend on hurting you, ultimately that hurt is yours. And mm. that's the hardest thing is we have to navigate on social media many more people than we would actually come across in person. All these different opinions from all around the world. And as you were saying earlier, it's like we are, for better or for worse, exposed to many, many people. And the better is when our messages can reach the right people. But the worse is when the wrong messages reach us at the wrong time and they hurt a lot and they can become detrimental. So I think the next step becomes like, how can we, instead of trying to not be hurt by that, but how can we transform that? And I think, Paige, you have such an incredible ability to help other people that it's like, I imagine you will transform that experience into a learning experience for other people. It's like, how can you guide other women towards feeling as best as they can about their bodies, no matter what they look like and who cares what the trends are? You know, mm. it's like this mm. ridiculous. There's so many different trends of women's body over all the different centuries, right? And so, or decades. And it's like, it's not about being in the right body shape at the right time. It's about each of us just have to learn how to love ourselves despite what other people think of us. And it's so challenging. But I see you doing that work. And I think that your story is going to inspire a lot of other people to know that they're not alone when they have those type of experiences. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I hear all of us trying to convince ourselves that, you know, the people who hurt us have good intentions. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's neutral. Sometimes they have no intentions whatsoever. But I think that's the mindset we're trying to find the best in it. One, it's regardless of what their intentions are, it's okay. And it is okay to feel hurt. And that's what I found instead of trying to logic my way out of pain. I just let myself feel hurt. I observe it and have found the things in my life, the practices, I should say, that allow me to not let that hurt spiral out of control. Because a previous version of myself would have. And the way that I look at it, when those photos were taken, I was a couple pounds underweight according to like a BMI measurement. So technically, I was underweight and I'm still going to celebrate the fuck out of myself. I'm going to celebrate myself every single step of the way of my healing unapologetically. I will do a photo shoot at every weight if that's what that means. You know what I mean? Like, and that's just like what I found. And that to me is part of what it means to like observe the hurt and let it go. I'm going to do what I want because I know that my ethics and values to keep myself safe and happy mentally and physically are in tune. And I feel confident in that. And outside of that, like you can say things and it will hurt me because I'm a sensitive being. I just am. I think it's one of the best parts about me because I love so hard and I get really excited and I have a lot of passion about a lot of different topics. And that all comes from being a sensitive being. So I embrace that. So I can get a little hurt and maybe more than the average person, whatever that may mean sometimes, but I've learned to observe it and make sure that I'm still eating well. I'm still meditating. I'm still moving my body and I have a checklist and it's it's run the homepage of my website, these eight different elements. 
and making sure all of those are in tune. So if I start to like break out or get really sleepy or have stomach issues, I go back to my checklist. I'm like, what's going on? Same thing with mental health. You know, am I sleeping? You know, am I meditating? Am I self-love? Do I have any toxic relationships going on right now? Like all of those little things that I check in. And every single time I'll find one or two, I'm like, oh, I'm not really meditating right now. Oh, I'm not really drinking water right now. You know, so that again, just gives me all the tools that I need to observe that hurt and that pain to let myself experience it, but then to also let it go with that reminder that it is not about me. Mm-hmm. Like their comments say far more about them than it says anything about me. Right. And I know it's so cliche, but it's the truth and it works, you know, because like we were saying earlier, it's it's about their own perspective. Yeah. You know, we have no control about over what other people think of us. And I think that also comes back around to we've been talking a lot about social media is I think a lot of people are trying to control what other people think of them. They think if they just take the right photo and Mm. write the right caption and post frequently enough, it's like everybody's trying to be their own PR person. It's like, how can I present myself in the right way that everybody will think the right things, the things that I want them to think mm, about myself. Mm-hmm. And I've struggled so much with this personally. And now I'm starting to really let that go because I've found that to actually not work at all. All these years that I've tried to, you know, position myself as a certain way, I, I still, no matter what I do, how I evolve as a person, how I present myself, how many times I study social media and the algorithms, and all this stuff, it doesn't really seem to make that much of a difference. If I look back over the past decade of being on social media, I can't really say that any little tweak I made about how I looked or what I said, when I said it, (laughs) how long my videos were, what filters I used, all this stuff, it really hasn't made much of a difference. The, The thread through in my career is that people identify with who I am at the core. When I speak my truth, that is when people reach out and say thank you. The people that have been with me throughout my entire career running Eco Vegan Gal and this new path with Wellevator and the other ventures I've been on over the years, I've had some people that have been with me for a decade or more, and they're usually saying that they just like me as a person. So no matter what I've done, it doesn't matter to them. They just like me. And the same, the opposite is true too. There are some people that just don't like me and I can't control their opinions trying to like pose a certain way or wear makeup or do my hair or whatever else I'm doing. And it actually has started to create more freedom for me and feeling like I can post whenever I want on social media and I'm not ruled by the algorithm. And I can post pictures of myself when I feel ugly and be like, this is who I am on this moment. And maybe I feel ugly, but maybe somebody else thinks I'm beautiful or vice versa. Right. But I, like you said, it's, it's all about their perception, not mine. And I just, the more I I release that desire to control what other people think of me, the more free I feel on those platforms. This whole thing brought up a really old quote that I haven't thought of in a while. I felt like we were due for a, for an ism because I always have to bring up a few (laughs) isms on every podcast. Um, years ago, I did the School for the Work with Byron Katie, who uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, the work is, is a method of self-inquiry into our painful negative thoughts. It's a, it's a really fantastic system of, of her philosophy is that a lot of our pain comes from 
unquestioned thoughts that we just auto, especially the negative or painful thoughts that we automatically believe them and do not question them. So for questioners, this is like a very exciting. <laughs> I very was much, like, Ooh. very much, very much. But she has this amazing thing that stuck with me in this conversation about other people's opinions or perspectives brought this up. And she said, when you're in a, in a moment of wanting to react to something or feeling reacted toward from someone else, you ask yourself, whose business am I in? My business, their business, or God's business? And you can say universe, spirit, soul, atheist, I don't care what you believe in, but am I in my business, someone else's business, or the business of the all that is, which I don't want to get tangential, but <laughs> we can't know what the universe's or God's or the soul's business is. We just can't. That's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. <laughs> but it's a good question, right? Am I in my own business, tending to my own garden? Am I worried about their garden and what the fuck's going on over there? Or am I really cultivating a spiritual connection to God, universe, the all that is? Mm. Whose business am I in? And I, I try and remind myself sometimes of that, of like, especially when I start tripping on comparison oh. and comparing myself to other people, like, I'm in their business. I'm not in my business anymore. I'm so focused completely on they must be so happy and so fulfilled and so content because they have X, Y, Z that I don't have. I'm not in my business anymore. I'm certainly not in God's business, souls of the universe. I'm completely disconnected from that. So I don't know. To me, it's just like, whose business am I in? And it's also coming back to the shoulds too, Ugh, right? That word. It's like what we should be doing on social media, what we should be doing socially. Jason, I, I don't know if you spoke in depth about why you haven't been posting that much on social media. But I, I'm imagining that that's part of the reason is you feel like you just don't want to. It's part of the, well, honestly, it goes back to the, the ayahuasca episode, which, uh, dear listener, you can refer to that experience. But to rehash a nugget of that, I don't know if we posted that as of the time. So it depends it, on when okay. that one comes out. But eventually <laughs> well, it'll be out. Eventually the ayahuasca episode will be out. <laughs> but but one of the big takeaways, which you, that's a two-parter, it's a big, big chunk to digest, was that for the longest time, my method of compensation to not be abandoned in life was to think that I had to be the absolute best at everything. Mm. That if I just prove that I'm the best at something, I'm the most talented. I'm the most entertaining. I'm always wowing people. Well, if everyone's laughing and everyone's having a good time and I'm the source of that, guess what? I'll never be abandoned again. Mm -hmm. So once I had this realization that was going on of like, if I'm motivated by trying to get a reaction out of people, then that's me being manipulative. Yes. That's me being manipulative to say, if you're laughing and you're having a great time and you're happy and I feel like I've contributed to that in some way, right? Then- that's me being manipulative. And so one of the reasons I don't have wanted to post on social anymore is because like, if I have any inkling that I'm trying to manipulate a reaction out of people, I'm not fucking posting it. Yeah. I'm getting to that point. I don't want to post it because um, it feels icky to me. It does. It to totally be like, does. I'm posting this because I'm trying to elicit a reaction out of whoever sees it. Yep. And I can't, I can't operate from that OS anymore. And I, I think that'll serve you and the collective consciousness very well. And I'm in the same boat. Like I, I have a lot of ideas on what I want to create for content and I'm going to, but I really wanted to enjoy the last week or two, like with friends and family. And I chose to prioritize that because I, I sat down a couple months ago and I thought about, you know, I hate to say my brand, but my business, like what does it mean to make your health a priority? So for me, like I, I've made that my life. That is what interests me in every facet. You know, but for my clients, that's the thing is like I lived 
to seek out wellness and health in any way, shape, or form, because I think that's exciting. I don't expect everybody else to make that their passion. You know, like I understand other people will work nine to fives and have kids and, you know, you know, maybe have drinks now and again, even though that's not my thing. You know, so really thinking about like what that means. And so I really appreciate where you're coming from, like with wanting it to be truly genuine. I think the word genuine is getting tossed around a lot these days. Like authentic. (laughs) Yeah, authentic. Like, you know, these authentic experiences, it's like, how can you be, I don't know, just the, the rate in which everything is being recorded. And I personally take a bit issue, again, no judgment, but like, I'm worried about the generation of kids who are like babies and toddlers now that are being raised with cameras in their face. Sorry, uh, I'm like, have my hand. And devices. <laughs> All just the devices. The time. All yep. the time. Like, they are being taught to create content before they literally have self-awareness. Whoa, you that's know? Yes. Whoa. Because we are not self-aware until we're about two years old as humans. Our brains aren't even fully developed until what? We're like 21 or something 20, like that? 21, 23. Yeah. I mean, wow. the teenagers too right now yep. that are growing up with social media and coming back to what Jason said at the beginning of this, that their currency is attention. I mean, yes. we are raising a generation of kids who are obsessed with getting attention like never before or in a new way, right? And so... Yes, every generation has its concerns and its issues and its battles and all that. But, you know, from a health standpoint, really the mental health side of things, there, there is a lot of data coming out about how depression and anxiety are on the rise. I mean, we have seen huge spikes in that recently. And a lot of people are starting to wonder, does it have to do with social media? Does it have to do with our exposure to devices? Does it have to do th- with things like 5G if we want to get uh. into that? I mean, we are exposed to so many things that we're experimenting with. And as you said earlier too, Paige, we are constantly learning new information as human beings. I mean, a lot of the books that I read are sharing data that's only like 20 years old. So a lot of the things that we think that we know that we take for granted as actual information or as tried and true is still so new. We don't know the effects that it's going to have on us long term, just like people didn't know when they were dipping people in what DDT, is that what you're saying? Right? Like back then they thought that that was okay. Yep. And so right now we think that filming kids from the, you know, their infancy is okay or giving them devices when they're two years old, letting them have social media. I was actually just talking to a parent two days ago and she was saying she feels so conflicted right now with having a one-year-old and a three-year-old because devices that give kids access to watching like YouTube or Netflix or whatever. She knows that they're not the best thing for her children, but they're also such a great way to distract her children so that she can have her me time, so that she can take a shower, so that she can make dinner. And I feel for that. None of us are parents at this moment. And I, I don't really have that perspective of what it's like to be a parent, but just to hear these conversations and my heart goes out to parents who are really struggling with these things. They're doing the best that they can. And it's so, it's just like we were saying earlier about like fast food. It's so easy to go to McDonald's sometimes because it's cheap and it's fast and it tastes good. It's so easy to turn to social media because it gives you the The dopamine hit, hit, right? It's so easy to give your kid a device because it distracts them and it allows you to go do something that you might not have been able to do if they weren't distracted, right? And so we also have to have compassion for the decisions. Like it's so easy to want to capture your children and their cute moments because we're rewarded for sharing the cute moments that our kids have. Right. Mm, right. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, 
again, coming back to TikTok, like cute things are the kids doing funny things or kids being upset or these things, you know, we grew up with America's funniest home videos, right? Those were all about like family members recording each other and like, you know, getting into these crazy scenarios. We've been doing it for a long time. It's just happening more and more and more. And and almost anybody can afford a phone if you're living in the United States. It might be a generalization, but it seems like we have so much access to technology like never before. So more people have these cameras and the internet and able to upload it and instantly get the reward of attention. And that, but then we come back to a, a longer conversation that we probably won't dive into, but it's like, one of my friends actually doesn't share public photos of her kids. She says, who am I yep. to assume that my kid is okay with me I love blasting that. their photos all I love over? That. That's and it's amazing. Right? I mean, not to mention the you coming back to their identity being developed, but also we think of privacy and the way that our data is being used. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future in terms of what people can do with our faces. And our all of our private information, our names and our email addresses and our, you know, all of this different information that we're giving, data is becoming a new currency. We get a lot of stuff for free in exchange for our data, and we have to raise that awareness. And it's not only important for us to do that for ourselves, but for our children too. What are we exposing them to before they have even understand what it means to have their face spread around social media or their data shared? So there's a book on my shelf. I haven't read it yet, if I'm being honest. My sister hasn't recommended it, but it's on my to-do list for this year called uh, The War of Math Destruction. And it's all on the dangers of data collecting. Yeah, super, super interesting. And, you know, going back to kids, like my best friend has a teenager and she really struggles, you know, because she's like, this is life these days. Like, this is how they participate in modern life. And, you know... I know it's way easier in the position of not having a child, but I feel like if it were me, like I just wouldn't want them to have an average life if I'm being honest. I really (laughs) wouldn't. I would not send my kids to school. I would homeschool for sure. That would, again, personal choice, no judgment, loving kindness, all of that. And I would not want them to be average and normal in today's standards. I just don't. I don't find that appealing. I don't find it to be a really in-touch person, most oftentimes a really well-contributing person. And Again, easier said than done because we know that screens give the dopamine hit. So the kids, it's it's like they're going to crave the sugar versus, you know, the broccoli or, you know, whatever insert vegetable here, because this sugary thing that they've already been exposed to is very stimulating. Yeah. So they are like stimulus. Give me the stimulus. Yes. So if you're leaning on screens to focus your kids attention while you get X, Y, Z done or have me time, which is extremely important, they are always going to want the stimulating thing. But if like, what if you get them doing like, I don't know, like Ashtanga yoga, like from my understanding that was created in India for kids that had quote unquote too much energy and it is the most wild yoga I've ever done, you know, but like, or arts and crafts, you know, or, you know, games or learning magic tricks or I don't know, like insert activity here that can make them have better bone density, like better hand-eye coordination, I don't know, more creative, anything that can distract them, they can get interested in. And that's going to take trial and error, right? Like figure out what your kid actually likes, get them that thing, and then try not to lean on their screens as much. Because again, you're just the dopamine, the addiction. It's tough. It takes a lot of awareness. I want to give a shout out to our friend Tamara, who runs an amazing brand called Welly Nest. And it's all about conscious parenting. And so shout out to people like her who are teaching other parents 
how to raise their awareness and understand not only the day-to-day lifestyle things, but also the consciousness of communicating with their children properly, which I think is really amazing. And I, I think that we're in a time where there's so much information that we can gather around that. And it's also simultaneously seems like a really tough time to be a parent. Right. And actually, I find myself questioning whether I, I want to become a mother simply because yeah. it almost seems so difficult. And for an overthinker like me and a questioner, I'm like, I don't know how I would mentally handle being a parent right now with all of these decisions. And not to mention the climate side of it. So it's complicated and and lots of love to any of you listening who are parents. And let's go back to the reminder, there's no right or wrong way to do Mm -hmm. things. There's no best practice. Everybody's doing the best that they can. And hopefully we can continue to inspire you to to be conscious and and to seek out information and to read when you can and to just, you know, love yourself and your family because ultimately that's that's the best that we can do each so and every true. day. Well, this has been amazing. <laughs> I feel like we could just go on and on. Yeah, this could be a Joe Rogan type of thing where like 12 <laughs> hours later we're like, "Do you want to go out for a snack? Do you need a pee break?" No, must there's keep a, there's, chatting. There's, there's a cot in the corner for you. Do you want to call in? <laughs> Yeah, it's our first overnight podcast. Uh, yeah. Yes, I will do that. <laughs> well, as you know, we can be like our, our dear friend Allison who runs the Food Heals podcast and have you back again. Jason and I have been repeat guests on uh, her podcast more than we can remember. <laughs> so we hope to do the same. And it's amazing. You're, you're our fifth guest for the show. So we're still at the beginning stages and there's so many more conversations to be had. I love that we didn't even know what we were going to talk about. I love that too. So, I warned her. This just I was went. excited. Yeah. I was like nervous, excited, you know, yeah. like well, what's going to happen? I love that. I mean, that that was the hope with this podcast is to not only talk about things that make us uncomfortable, but have really honest conversations and just let them flow naturally and, and talk about what's on our hearts at the moment and the things that we're struggling with. And we're so grateful for the listener for being here for our journey. And as we've said a few times, the notes on everything, including how to reach Paige, how to check out her amazing checklist that she has on her website, to see if you want to work with her as a coach, to read her book recommendations, all of that stuff, including anything else we mentioned during the podcast is in our show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can find us on social media under at Wellevator and Paige, yours is at Make Your Health a Priority. Excellent. And again, that'll be linked in the show notes in case you don't know how to spell any of it. Hopefully you'll you'll find us. <laughs> I feel like even if you misspell Wellevator, you'll still find us because we have enough content out at this point. Or you can always uh, look us up under Whitney Lauritsen or Jason Robel and you'll you'll find your way to the show notes. You can email us, whatever it is. It's easy to reach people these days on social media. I was just going to say we're easily stalkable <laughs> uh, if you want to do that. Paige, it was such a pleasure. Thanks Thank for making you. yourself available and thanks for just being so open-hearted. It's been a wonderful thing as a friend and colleague of yours to see your evolution over the years. And I felt like you just brought so many just love nuggets today. And I'm sure there are many more. So I think I think I have a feeling you might be a repeat guest because there were things I didn't get to today. But <laughs> just to. thanks for showing up in all of the ways. And we have no idea what the future holds. So next time we talk to you, we could just we will be in a completely different space, yeah. right? This is just capturing this one moment in time with you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. To be honest, like, you know, I've known Jason for so long at this point. This is almost exactly what it's like just hanging out with you. It kind of is, right? <laughs> this is Great. pretty much what we do, minus food, maybe, yeah. and animal petting. Cheers. It's true, except um, animal petting. <laughs> 
And uh, I know, Whitney, we were talking at your event a couple weeks ago how you and I are the same. We're just, we prefer so similar, intimate, (laughs) like deep conversation. And we were talking about getting to know each other better. So I feel like this is the launching pet for that, which I'm very grateful for. I know it's so wonderful. And it makes me happy to hear that this reminds you of hanging out. Before we wrap up, remind me, how long did you, have you guys known each other and how did you meet? We, because I remember hearing about you, Paige. Well, the first oh, time I really I remember it, hearing about you was probably in 2015 or 16, was it? Yeah. No, Is that I, when you guys met? No, no, no. I can tell you. Paige and I, I don't remember exactly how we started following one another, but I put out a a thing either on Facebook or on my newsletter that I was looking for an assistant. Mm-hmm. And Paige applied oh, to be my assistant. And did not get the job. <laughs> That story is left for probably another podcast of why I did not select Paige. (laughs) It was not due to her lack of qualifications. Uh, That was 2012. And so, kind of when you and back to you and me, 2012. And I remember the first time you and I physically met was at the Green Festival <laughs> when you were working for Vega and you were at the booth and I was doing an onstage talk. Because I what remember year? you were at the booth and I, I came up was... and hugged you and I was like, Paige, it's so nice to finally meet. And that was the first time we actually like connected. In was person. that the year Expo. that I was there too? No, it wasn't Expo. It was the Green Festival because I had, it was in downtown LA and you were at a Vega booth and I okay. was speaking. Was this 2000? Oh, you're right. This was fall you were of there, 2012. Right? Yeah, I that's what I'm saying. This was I think fall I was of 2012 there and that's when you and I first physically met, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. was first online. You're right. And yeah, and then- like we just it took a few years to like have a friendship friendship but here we are here we are i think the funny part of this is that Paige and i have so many similarities and to know that you guys started to get to know each other around the same time that you and i started i mean you and i were dating back then jason but like that was the beginning of our friendship and that was also the beginning of your friendship it's interesting like i was just calling in like very similar women like universe send me these kind (laughs) of women bring them to me this is the weirdest (laughs) honestly oh god are we about to get into like jason's dating history there's only two people so in our in the history since 2012 that jason's dated that i did not really bond with (laughs) and most of the women that jason's dated i like really love so jason has a good history of dating similar women and a lot of the Ten except for Nicole have our brunettes. I have a, I have a thing. Jason's with brunettes, into brunettes. You <laughs> like blondes, redheads. Yeah, I guess you so don't I mean, discriminate. I'm, I don't discriminate, but yes. the track record would indicate. Yeah, <laughs> but a lot of a lot. I meet a lot of amazing women that Jason's dating. You're welcome. <laughs> or has been interested in. Or I'm has like a like, farm team for Whitney's right? yeah. friends. <laughs> She's like, go on, date some cool women and bring them to me. Bring them back to me when you're That's done. That's what I need because <laughs> I was actually challenged this year as a resolution to get more local friends because I don't have any. <laughs> and maybe I can just, you know, kind of wait for you to date people. Sure. Yeah. It's, I'm happy to just supply, ladies. Yes. I'm happy to supply wonderful women that I find may be compatible with you as friends. I can. Yep. I may should offer that as a service. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, that's it for now. (laughs) (laughs) Tangents over. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. up. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 